All right, with that, I want to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going we're gonna to start in chapter 1, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. So open up Ecclesiastes, look at chapter 1 with me, and kind of the big idea that we're going to see in chapter 1 here is that there's this collective vanity to all of life. 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there, there's this Hebrew word called hevel, hevel, hevel. It's used 38 times throughout the book. It's what we translate, our modern translations translated as vanity or, or vapor. It's this striving after the wind. It's this reality that, that life is futile. And we all experience the futility of life. And so chapter 1 shows us this collective vanity or this collective vapor that all of humanity experiences. Look at it with me, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. It starts, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or vapor of vapors, says the preacher. Vapor of vapors, all is a vapor. All of life is hevel. What does man gain by all of his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow there again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Don't be fooled into thinking that your challenges, our challenges, our daily struggles are new or unique to us in 2022. There's really nothing new under the sun. There's new forms of temptation. There's new forms of struggle. There's new, new ways that we battle with one another and battle with our own souls and battle with God the Almighty, but there's no new motivation. There's no new issues of the heart or idols of the heart for us to identify. They're just exposed in different ways. Like when the pandemic, when the Spanish flu hit in 1918, they didn't have to deal with online um, social media opinions about it, but they had to deal with different different opinions on it. When the when the um, when the Black Plague hit in the medieval ages, they didn't have to use the internet to battle about how to deal with it. But certainly there was battles, churches and government and people in churches. There was so many battles about how to respond. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what the Book of Ecclesiastes is telling us. You and I, in 2022, we enter this long history of humanity that's lived in the reality of vanity. All of our life is hevel, hevel. It says a generation goes and a generation comes in verse 4, and this is true, right? We all have a death sentence. None of us can number our days. Only the Lord knows our days. Nobody has lived forever. Nobody will live forever underneath the sun, right? Life without God, life underneath the sun. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses this term, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. Our human existence is bound by death. We have a limit. We have a number. God knows the number of hairs on our head, the scriptures tell us, and God knows the years of our life, the scripture tells us. We enter this collective vanity. 
all of mankind has a limit. There's a vanity to life that you and I have to embrace and we just have to acknowledge and we have to deal with it. This is a Christian way to think, to be reminded that regardless of our striving, regardless of our efforts, life is vanity. It is a vapor. Keep going in verse 10. He says, is there a thing in which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of the former things, no, nor will there be any remembrance of things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Here's one of the things that I love about the book of Ecclesiastes. That statement there in verse 14 when he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all of it is vanity, vapor, it's all a striving after the wind. He means it. The, the, the preacher, the teacher, the, the wise sage in Ecclesiastes has literally tried everything. And as you read this book, you're going to see that he's literally tried it all, searching for meaning, searching for purpose. And he's found that all of it is a vapor. Some of us have experienced this, like we, we try hard to attain a new experience or to attain a new job or to attain a new uh, income bracket or to, uh, to, to attain a new relationship, and it's satisfying for a while, but in the end, it's all a vapor. There's this reality that when people achieve a certain goal or dream that they've been striving after, they get there, and for a while, it's satisfying, and then all of a sudden, they're like, well, now that I've arrived, now what? Now, now, that, I, now that I finally found that relationship, Now what? Now that I finally have made this amount of money, now that I finally have bought this house, now that I have finally remodeled it in the way that I want, now what? And just a little personal note, you might finish that remodel and within the first month, your water lines might freeze. It's a personal note because it happened to me this morning. Yes, it's a negative 20 in Minnesota and my newly remodeled kitchen has frozen water lines. Life is vanity. It's a vapor. And we got to talk to some designers about that. Um, rabbit hole. Verse 15, pick it up again. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The whole idea, the big idea of chapter one here is that there's this collective vanity that all of humanity lives into. Life is a vapor. Life is fleeting. Life is is bound to however, however many years God gives us regardless of what we try to do to live forever or to live through a sickness or to live through a disease or to live through some type of oppression. Life is a vapor. Your day is coming. There's wisdom in embracing that. We're going to get to that. Chapter 3 actually shows us that. But before we get to chapter 3, let's turn to chapter 2. In chapter 2, there's this now this big idea that there's also this selective vanity. So chapter 1 shows us this collective vanity. All of mankind, all of our lives are a vapor. Uh, we can't control the outcome of our life. Our attempts to our futility, they're like striving after the wind. And then chapter 2, he gets into this selective vanity or a specific 
vanity, and that is the godless search for purpose leads to the vain pursuit of pleasure, wisdom, and work. The godless search for purpose leads to the vain pursuit of pleasure, wisdom, and work. We're going to look at chapter 2 in just a minute, but before we kind of get into the specifics of chapter 2, if you think about all of mankind, everybody that you know, everybody in your, in your sphere of relationship, you can probably boil down their wiring to three different types of people. There's people who seek pleasure, there's people who are on a, on a search for wisdom, and there's people who just love work, love production. And this is kind of what Ecclesiastes chapter 2 shows us. Now, there's many different personality types out there. There's Enneagram, there's Strength Finders, there's Myers-Briggs, there's the DISC assessment. I like these tools. I think they're really good for helping us to understand um, how mankind is wired. And, and, and I'm tempted to think that all of them can kind of be placed into these larger buckets of three types of people, people who are led by the, the flesh seeking pleasure, people who are led by the, the mind seeking wisdom, and people who are led by the hands seeking work or production. I think this is part of what Ecclesiastes gets at here in chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 11 with me and consider the person who is led for pleasure. Now remember, Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Here's chapter 2, he, he turns to this very helpful example. Uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is what, we're, what we call paying the dumb tax for you and I. He's doing things, experiencing things, telling us how it went so that you and I don't have to make the same mistakes. Now, the reality is most of us make the same mistakes anyway, but at least there's ancient wisdom here to give us helpful perspective in our modern era. So to those of you who are, who are led and propelled forward by pleasure, like the seeking after pleasure and experience. If that's you, verses 1 through 11 are specifically important for you. Listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart to know and to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man and to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees and I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. There's, there's the key to this seeking after pleasure. Look at verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all of my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it 
And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. See, the, the preacher here is saying, everything that my eyes desired, everything that, that the world had to offer me that looked good for pleasure, I did. I ran after it. Ran after it. Pleasure people are driven by the vanity of new and abundant experiences. They always need more or new. They want more food or new food. They want more drink or new drink. They want more entertainment or new entertainment. They want more travel or new travel. They want more sex or new sex. They want to spend their money, not save their money. They want to explore and adventure. This is the drive for pleasure. Whatever the pleasure person's eyes see, whatever is out there in the world offering them some, some pleasure to the soul, some pleasure in life, they seek it. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher here is saying he's tried it he gave in to every impulse every opportunity everything that the world would offer him he received and accepted it and it all turned out to be vanity it all turned out to be a vapor it wasn't satisfying it didn't fill his soul it's vanity because these experiences are limited and the freedom to do like freedom to throw off any restriction, any law, any chains, and do whatever you want creates a new type of bondage to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. You become enslaved to your impulses. And even the things that you can gain in pleasure-seeking, they're all limited, they all have an end. Freedom is the new slavery. The pleasure person needs to ask to get a little deeper. I mean, this, this is all... A godless search, right? So if we're searching for pleasure without God, this is where it leads us. As Christians, and again, Mike is going to talk more about this next week, how do we live with God? But as Christians, if you're a pleasure person, you need to ask, what is it that I really want when I'm seeking pleasure? When I'm seeking something new or something different, when I'm seeking adventure, when I'm seeking food, when I'm, when I'm seeking drink, when I'm seeking whatever it is, what is it that I really want? What's the deepest craving of my soul? And what will satisfy that? And that's going to point us back to God. Mike's going to take us there more next week. This week, we're, we're talking about the depressing life without God. And the reality of life is that you can seek all of the pleasures of the world and you will not feel full. And Ecclesiastes teaches us that. Next, he gets into wisdom. Wisdom. And so a godless search for wisdom leads us to vanity as well. Look at verse 12 through 17. And, and actually, the end of Ecclesiastes 1, he kind of talks about wisdom. He says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation or much anger. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more wisdom you get, the more sour, so, sorrowful you become. Good luck, wisdom people. Let's look at verse 12 of chapter 2. He says, So I turned to consider wisdom. Remember, he's tried all of the pleasures of the world. He gave himself everything that he saw that looked good for the eyes, and it didn't please him. It was all vanity. Verse 12. So I turned to wisdom. Okay, if pleasure doesn't satisfy my soul and answer the longing questions of my soul, maybe wisdom will. So I turned to wisdom and considered madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. When I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, that there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. 
and yet I perceived that the same events happened to all of them. When I said in my heart, what a, what a, what a verse, right? Verse 14, there is a reality that, that the wise person, they have eyes in their head, the fool walks around in darkness. We all know this, that somebody who has wisdom, there's, there's, there's a good pursuit of wisdom, right? There's a good pursuit of pleasure. There's a good pursuit of work. We're going to turn to that in just a minute. This is all about the godless pursuit of pleasure, wisdom, and work. But here's, here's what he says, this godless pursuit of wisdom there's reality that, that wisdom, it has eyes in your head and a fool walks in darkness. But then in the middle of verse 14, he says, yet I perceived that the same events happened to all of them. Maybe you have all of the wisdom on how to handle any particular situation and everyone else is the fool walking in the darkness. Guess what? Your life is still a vapor. Your life comes, your life goes. God gives you your breath. God takes your breath away. Wisdom is not what extends your life. It's the will of God. Now, wisdom plays into that, but remember, this is the godly search, the godless search for wisdom. Look at verse 15. It says, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Wisdom is a vapor. Why then have I been so wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He's saying there's this futility, there's this vanity or this vapor to a godless search for wisdom. Wisdom people are driven by the vanity of knowledge and understanding. They always want new and better information. The pleasure person always wants new and better experiences. The wisdom person always wants new and better information. They're the people who just binge podcasts and books and TED Talks and sermons and lectures. And they love to think and to discuss and to get into the nuance and the minutia of everything. And there's a good time and place for that. There's a good time and place for pleasure. There's a good time and place for work. We're going to turn to that in just a minute. But what you need to know here is chapter 2 is showing us the futility or the vanity of a godless search for wisdom. See, knowledge is vanity because our understanding and interpretation is limited. Regardless of the information that you gain, the books that you read, the podcasts that you listen to, your, your understanding and your ability to interpret is limited. God is unlike us. Scriptures say that God says, my thoughts are unlike your thoughts. My ways are unlike your ways, says the Lord. And so humble yourself before the Lord. You can never work yourself into a godlike status of knowledge. Wisdom is vain because it's limited. Look at a couple verses with me on this topic of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more you know, the more pain you're exposed to. Chapter 2, verse 17. We just read it there. He says, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. The more you know, the more suffering and injustice you're aware of. It doesn't mean to bury your head in the sand, but it's just a reality to be aware of if you're a wisdom, a knowledge type of person. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Verse 16 and 17, Ecclesiastes 8, 16 and 17, the preacher says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do anyone's eyes sleep, 
Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. There's this reality that our wisdom is limited and you're never going to find all the answers that you're searching for. If you're searching for answers and wisdom and understanding and insight, there's a place where you just have to throw up your hands and wonder and worship. And then uh, look at one more. Look at Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12. Towards the very end, the preacher says, My son, beware of anything beyond these, beyond these words, beyond this wisdom that I've given you in this book. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. There's endless books that you could read, endless podcasts, endless TED Talks, endless sermons, endless lectures that you could listen to, and the more you know, it just creates this weariness in your flesh and in your bones. In a sense, it's almost like the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that there is some, some bliss in ignorance. He's not actually telling us to be ignorant and to ignore wisdom, but he's saying be careful of a godless pursuit of wisdom because it just leads you on this endless search for knowledge that will not satisfy your soul. And then from there, one more, he goes to work. So chapter 2, he's saying there's this selective vanity, this selective vanity to those who try to live life without God, those who search for pleasure, they're never satisfied, those who search for wisdom, they're never full, they never get the answers that they're looking for. And then maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't identify with the pleasure seeker or the wisdom acquirer. Maybe, maybe this next one, work, really hits you. You're the achiever. You're the productive type. You want to get things done. You want to make a difference. You want to grow things. You want to expand things. You don't care about pleasure. You're disciplined. You don't care about heady stuff. You're practical. Guess what? That's vain too. Yeah, you're not left off the hook. Here we go, Ecclesiastes 2, look at verse 18 through 23 with me. Those of you who are, who are driven by work, by production, by achieving. The preacher says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with much wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all of the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all of his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Maybe you're the type who can't sleep because your mind is always going. You're always busy. You've got to move on to the next thing. See, work people are driven by the vanity of production and performance. They're busy people. They're, they're marked by ambition and advancement. Again, these aren't bad things. Without God, they're futile things. They're vapors. You'll never be satisfied with your, your, your drivenness to build, to grow, to produce, to use things, to perform, to improve, to expand. With God, this is a good impulse. With God, you're seeking pleasure is good. With God, you're seeking wisdom is good. With God, your work is good. But without God, it's futile. It's, it's vain. It's a vapor. 
Work is vanity because regardless of what is accomplished, it is given to somebody else. Or, as the New Testament tells us, it's, it's eaten by moths or destroyed by rust. How many, how many people just long for a relationship with, with a parent, but the parent's so busy working, so busy trying to achieve, so busy trying to prove something? Or, or how many people at work, they want a relationship with a coworker, like maybe a, maybe a, a wisdom person probably wants deep conversation and the work person's like, I don't have time to do that with you. I'm practical. We've got to get stuff done. The pleasure person wants to go out for a happy hour. And the wisdom person's like, I'll go to happy hour with you as long as the conversation's deep. I don't care about watching sports. Let's have a deep conversation. The work person's like, I'm not going to happy hour. I'm going to stay here and check my emails and get some stuff done, right? <laughs> These are how we're wired. Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your work relationships. There's pleasure people. There's wisdom people. There's work people. And we need all of those people. And with God, all of those impulses and drives are good. But without God, they're all vanity. They all lead to vanity. The pleasure person needs to ask, what do I want when I want pleasure? The wisdom person needs to ask, what do I want when I, when I want knowledge? What is the driving motivation? The work person needs to ask, what do I want when I want to succeed? What's my driving motivation? What's underneath the skin? And then all of that, so chapter 2, there's this selective vanity, life without God. Seeking pleasure without God is vanity. Seeking wisdom without God is vanity. Seeking to work or to produce or to contribute without God is vanity. Now there's good news here, here for us. As we turn to chapter, kind of towards the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, we see that there's this reality of accepting vanity. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here as we close down because Mike has the task next week of helping us understand what it looks like for us to actually now live this out with God. I wanted to focus on life without God, kind of the futility of pleasure and wisdom and work without God. But for you and I as, as believers, we need to accept vanity, and that's where the preacher kind of goes now. And throughout the rest of the book, from chapters 3 on, he's kind of going to show us this interplay of the pursuit of pleasure, wisdom, and work with God and without God, with God and without God. And he just kind of moves in and out between the two. But I want us to see how he, kind of at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 now, he shows us that as people of God, how we need to accept the vanity of life and not fight against the vanity of life. Pick it up in chapter 2, verse 24. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Amen. There's the wisdom you needed on this New Year's, not New Year's Day, January 2nd, in this new year. What is your New Year's resolution for the next year? Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your work. Now, there, there's more than just that, though. Stick, stick with me here a little bit longer. He's telling us that we need to accept the vanity of our life, and as we accept the vanity of life, we can begin to embrace pleasure and wisdom and work, knowing that God, God plans our days, that God has given each of us a chosen lot. So he says in verse 24 again, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting. Only to give to one who pleases God, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Saying that, that we, the best thing that we can do is to embrace 
our vanity or to accept it, to acknowledge it. And that frees us up from holding on to pleasure and wisdom and work with closed hands, trying to find meaning and purpose in pleasure, pleasure, wisdom, and work. We find a greater purpose, a greater meaning in God and his creation and what he's given us. And we can open up our hands and we can pursue pleasure, wisdom, or work with God, for God, through God, by God. And we have this freedom to live our life. Chapter 3, he goes into this. Just look at chapter 3 with me because it's a beautiful poem. He says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under, under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's a reality that that life is a vapor, it's a vanity, and in that we can just kind of accept the reality of life. Move into verse 9, he says, what gain has the worker from all this toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into the heart of man. See, we, we all have, the reason we're all trying to find meaning and purpose and pleasure, wisdom and work is because God has put something in our hearts, something more than just the tangible. And sometimes we, we tend to worship the tangible, but it's all driving us towards something deeper, something more eternal and lasting. It says, yet so that, uh, middle of verse 11, Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. See how the preacher here is now turning to our acceptance of vanity? Saying that the only way that that we can live our lives with this impulse for pleasure, for wisdom, and for work is to understand that it's all from God, it's all by God, it's all to God, it's all through God, and that gives us the freedom to live our life without bondage to these things, but rather by enjoying these things. The end of chapter 3 goes on to explain that. I want to look at just two more verses with you on this acceptance of vanity idea. Look at Ecclesiastes 8, verse 14 and 15. Ecclesiastes 8, 14 and 15. It says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. <laughs> there's not karma. Right? I mean, existentially, there's not necessarily karma. There's not religious duty. Like, if I do everything that God wants me to do, therefore I get everything that I think he should give me, and, and the wicked get what they deserve. Like, no, the, 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 the wisdom from Ecclesiastes here, the preacher saying, no, sometimes good people get bad things, and sometimes bad people get good things. So just deal with it. That's life. Verse 14 and there are wicked people to whom happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said, this also is vanity. If you're trying to find your, your purpose in doing right. Verse 15, he says, And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in all of his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. See this idea here, this acceptance 
of vanity allows us to live our lives eating, drinking, being merry with God, for God, accepting what he brings us as his lot for our life. One more, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 through 10. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. The preacher says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. That's just a great verse. Be careful with it. It means applying it to a godless pursuit of pleasure, work, and wisdom, right? But he's saying if you have a, God, a godly pursuit of pleasure, work, and wisdom, if you're living your life with God, there's freedom for you to live your life without bondage of what other people think, of what the religious systems think, or, or, or what the pursuits of the world are, the pleasure, the wisdom, the work, this endless toiling after those things. If you live your life with God, you can go. Verse 7, Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Verse 8, he says, Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This, this nod to the spiritual purity given to us from God's righteousness, gifted to us. Verse 9, he says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. Your portion in life. Your chosen lot. God has a lot, a portion for each of us, and wisdom is to not try and gain somebody else's lot or portion or life, but it's to accept the vanity of the life that God has given you. It says, enjoy the portion of your life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge and wisdom and shield to which you are going. So just Accept the vanity of your life and do what God has put before you with all of your might for his glory, the good of others, and the advancement of his gospel. And then lastly, just want to close out by, and Mike is going to take this deeper for us next week, but the, the book kind of closes with this call to fear, um, fear and obedience in vanity. So we accept our vanity, we live our, we live our lives in vanity, our lives are a vapor, we accept that, and then as we accept that, we live our lives fearing God and being obedient to his commands. Life is vanity, or it's hevel, it's a vapor, so that humanity might live with wonder and worship, fearing God and keeping his commands. See, when we're led by a godless pursuit of pleasure, of wisdom and work, there's not wonder and worship. It's just us trying to make a life better for ourselves. But when we accept the vanity of life and we pursue pleasure work and wisdom with God, it, it causes us to live with supernatural wonder and worship of who God is and we're able to fear God and keep his commands. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.14. Ecclesiastes 3.14. Remember, Ecclesiastes 1 is this collective vanity. Ecclesiastes 2 is this selective vanity about godless pursuit of pleasure, work, and wisdom. Three kind of turns us towards this acceptance of vanity. And look at verse 14, how he, how he shifts it into the rest of this book. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away. For God has done it so that people fear before him. Saying there's this reality to our acceptance of vanity that causes this fear, this worship, this reverence for God. I'm not in control of life. Therefore, somebody must be in control of life. Therefore, I need to worship a being that's bigger than myself. And then this launches us into Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the book. Flip there with me. 
Ecclesiastes 3, uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. As the preacher closes down the book, the author actually summarizes the preacher's teaching in verse 13. And this, this verse is so important. I remember years back I was at a, at a funeral and the person conducting the funeral read from Ecclesiastes 3 where it says there's a time for everything, right? A time to laugh, a time to cry. And he read that poem in Ecclesiastes 3 that I read. And, uh, and this guy clearly didn't know his Bible. Um, he was a hired hand to do this funeral at a funeral home. And he read that poem and he said, so from this, what I, what I gather is we need to have fun in life, the most fun that we can have in life. This pastor, priest, chaplain, whatever he was, kind of got his degree from a cereal box, I think. He said, so what I can gather from this is that we need to have fun in life. He was clearly a pleasure seeker. We should just have fun in life. When this man stands before God, as he's doing right now, remember this is a funeral setting, the big man upstairs is going to ask him, did you have fun? So family, go and have fun. That was his point. And I wanted to just stand up and say, no, that's not what the book says. Keep reading, dude. And give up your cloth. You don't deserve it. Keep reading. The book closes with this. Look at verse 13 of chapter 12. Stick with me. Here's what it says. The end of the matter has all been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Life is vanity. It's hevel. And so humanity, you and I, we can live our lives with wonder and worship of God. We can fear God and keep his commands. This is the whole duty of man. Mike is going to take us deeper on that next week. And so join us next Sunday. We'll let you know if it's going to be just virtual or if we'll be back at 9 and 1045 in person. We hope to do so. Uh, but life is vanity. Our plans are futile. So we'll see. Love you, church family. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for joining us. God bless.